This is Zenshu, the podcast, episode 424, for the week of May 7th, 2017. Hello, welcome to Konzenshu, the podcast, an extension of the all-encompassing Dragon Ball fan site, Konzenshu. We cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of entertaining. My name is Mike, sometimes Vegito EX, but always Mike. At you for another episode of our podcast. We have a great mishmash of material for you this week. We got three quarters of the staff on the show, uh, not all at the same time in bits and pieces here and there. What do we got for you this week? We have a great talk with Jake. You might know him as Herms, but also. So Jake, talking about some of the weird mistakes or changes in Dragon Ball Super promotion over the last few months. Things on the official website, things in uh, print publications, all culminating in what we now know as a distinct difference of characters between Caulifla and Kale, female scions from Universe 6 in the Universe Survival Arc of Dragon Ball Super. So we'll talk about that a little bit in a, sort of like an, an extended news topic. Not quite straight up news, but not quite straight up topic. And then we're going to transition into our real topic for the week, which is analyzing Jake. Sorta, kinda. So last week, Viz released the collected edition of Dragon Ball Super Volume 1. Yes, they've been releasing uh, chapters of the series for free on their website, but this marks the first uh, collected print release of it. It's also available digitally. Uh, Contains what we saw over a year ago, an interview in the back of the collected edition with Toyotaro and Akira Toriyama, original creator of Dragon Ball. At that time, a year ago, they were looking ahead to what we didn't quite know at the time, but we learned soon was going to be the future Trunks arc of Dragon Ball Super. Uh, What we wanted to talk about this week was, because it's so rare that we get something like this. Typically, we're just translating everything. There's an interview over here. There's an article over here. We just got all of it. Most of the stuff never comes out in any kind of official capacity over in English, because it'll be things like an interview in V-Jump. It'll be things like uh, an article over in Animedia, something like that. Those things just don't come over here. But because Viz is releasing the collected edition of Dragon Ball Super, it included the interview in the back. We don't get instances like this. So we're going to take this opportunity. I wanted to remove Jake from the situation because he's the one who translated it. He's too close to the source material. And by too close to the source material, I mean, I just finished talking with him and he didn't remember the interview. We both had to go back to it and look like, oh, what did they say in this one? So I wanted to grab Julian, both of our translators, researchers, fact checkers here in Konsenshu. So I want Julian to take a look at the Japanese original, which he did not translate. Jake is the one who translated it for the site. Look at the Japanese original, look at Jake's translation, look at Viz's translation, and just kind of talk inside baseball about translation for uh, a little bit here on the show. What was the style of the conversation like? Uh, How did Jake probably arrive at what he got? How did Viz probably arrive at what they got? What the total similarities are between the two? What the differences are between the two? So it's not so much about the context content of it because the content of that interview honestly just isn't relevant anymore as very promotional in nature uh, looking ahead to what would be coming in the series and we're, we're long past that point now so uh, if you're into the translation side of things uh, that's what you got to look forward to for our topic this week otherwise uh, I don't really know I, I guess we did have some other news uh, Dragon Garo Lee was finally able to get out the second chapter of the case of being reincarnated as Yamcha this is 
a, a fan gun pro able to release a, a wonderful, absolutely hysterical, uh, what we would otherwise call a fan manga, doujinshi, in an official capacity. Shueisha has this jump plus platform. It's a, it's a way to read things you get promos for, codes for, but also pay to read things digitally, kind of like their digital storefront, sort of, kind of, separate from all the other digital storefronts. But they feature a lot of their own material for free over there. And Dragon Garo Lee uh, got a chance to do an official spinoff all about Yamcha. We've talked about it in the past on the site. Uh, I think when it wraps up, it's going to be three chapters total. This is the second chapter that's just now coming out. Theoretically, it was supposed to be out back in January. Uh, I had quite a bit of a delay that we've documented on the site. So you can dig back into the archives. Uh, It's tagged properly now. Uh, in our news archives, so you can click back and read through all that. But the second chapter is up to read for free. It's in Japanese. But hopefully this gets some kind of translation uh, in the near future, uh, especially in official capacity. Other than that, kind of related to some other things, Toyotaro that you're going to hear about a little bit later on, did an interview with the Italian branch of Wired at the uh, Comic-Con over in Italy this last week. A lot of it is just talking about being a fan of Dragon Ball, getting a chance to work on it in an official capacity. Again, kind of like Dragon Garoli, much more visible here for Toyotaro. The interview really wraps up, though, with a very intriguing quote. Super, super amazing thanks to, I, I guess I want to say, CCODM on our forum on Konzenshu. Uh, lives there in Italy. Did a great translation of it over into English that you can read uh, on our forum. I just want to read from you their translation of the last statement here. Toyotaro says, I can only say this. Do not think you already know the definitive teams for the upcoming Tournament of Power, even if they have already been revealed. Ooh, interesting there. Otherwise, the last bit of news before I turn it over to our news topic and then the topic topic is Ultimate Mission X. You heard me talk about it last week on the show. This is the Dragon Ball Heroes game, the third game for the Nintendo 3DS. Probably not going to get an international localization. Do not hold your breath for it. But I picked it up. I've been playing. I played uh, quite a bit more since you last heard me on the show. I don't really have anything super new to talk about or share from it. Uh, I kind of slacked off on playing it because I fell back into Zelda again. And who wants to play Ultimate Mission X, which is not a good game. It's kind of boring when you have something like that on the side. Uh, but I'll I'll pick it back up. Uh, the 3DS is right in front of me as I'm recording right now. So I think in between recording sessions while I wait for Julian, uh, maybe I'll pick that back up and uh, put a little bit more time into it. But its first week sales, wow, did it do well. Came out the same week as Mario Kart 8 Deluxe on Switch, and there was no chance it was going to beat that, and it did not beat that, but it was the number two game for the week, so only behind Mario Kart 8. Not too shabby there. Uh, Dragon Ball Heroes Ultimate Mission X on the Japanese Nintendo 3DS. First week sales, 92,809 copies, according to the Media Create sales list. Let's put that into perspective here. 92,000, almost 93,000 copies. The first game, back in March 2013, did 88,386 so 88 as opposed to almost 93. Ultimate Mission 2 did a little less than that, 81,584 during its first week in August 2014. So Ultimate Mission X did better than 1 and 2. Let's compare it to the most recent game, though, Dragon Ball Fusions. Fusions did less than those with 77,509, although Fusions really hung on for a while. But so did the Ultimate Mission games over time. I really want to stick around for the lifetime sales on all of those games. But in terms of first week sales, Ultimate Mission X is the winner here, huh? I'm kind of shocked about that. Uh, Ultimate Mission X does cover all of the missions, all of the cards, everything leading up to the split before it transformed into Super Dragon Ball Heroes for arcade. So there's a lot of content in that game. 
It's not very interesting content. It's not very fun, but I will talk more about it later if I have to. Uh, I think my opinion on Heroes is already well known at this point. I'll have more to say once I play with it, and I promise to actually put a little more thought into my criticism of the game. So I'm just going to let it be there. We're going to transition over into the rest of the episode. Jake's going to talk about uh, Dragon Ball Super promotion, Cauliflower versus Kale. And then Julian's going to talk about Jake's translations, and that's our episode. So enjoy, and I'll see you on the flip side to wrap things up. So I, w- I want to say first up in our hodgepodge of an episode here, because this is the first thing I'm recording. I don't really know what order I'm going to be putting things in here. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Dragon Ball Super's uh, character reveals, and that's reveals through promotion on uh, the official website, a little bit in magazines, and even in the show itself. Um, the most appropriate person to talk about this, it's Jake. Well. Jake, let's start a little bit before what we're talking about right now, which is about cauliflowers and kale. Jump me back to when we were starting the universe survival arc. The official website has been slowly adding new character bios, uh, names, voice actor credits along the way. They slipped up uh, quite a few times. Uh, I want to say it was some of the the dogs that had the wrong bios attached to them. Yeah, the uh, trio de dangers mm-hmm. from Universe Nine. So when they first came, put up the bios on the the official website it had let's see uh, i can't remember who actually is supposed to be who, I, I think it was bergamo and lavenda were reversed or something like that they had essentially the same bio for both of those characters where they um they referred to both of them as the crusher which as it eventually turned out was only the title of uh, bergamo and then there were other things too just like the series of problems there was actually a typo in the bio where they left out a period so two sentences ran together in a way that like was kind of confusing where it's like okay are they is this supposed to be two separate sentences or is this one long sentence that says something completely different than it it would if it were two separate sentences. Gotcha. And I'm sure that really threw off the people that just kind of dump it into Google Translate and see what they can try to get out of it. Yeah, well, I think Google Translate probably wouldn't even notice things like no, that. that's true. I mean, anyway, so yeah, there's a, a that kind of craziness that didn't get sorted out even, even after the episodes aired that showed what the correct information mm-hmm. was. It wasn't fixed until a little while after that, but I think everything there is good now. And then actually about the Trio de Danger, I don't think this is necessarily a website thing, but it was a uh, printed material versus what actually came to be in the show. They they changed a word. It was za to da or something like that. Yes. Yeah, so um, in the um, previews for the episodes that run in Jump, you know, they have like previews not only for Dragon Ball Super, but for Naruto or Boruto now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, all the currently airing shows, they have a little uh, very short preview for the episodes. And when they were previewing the Trio de Dangers episodes, they called them Trio the Dangers using the English word the just like in Japanese, just za. Mm-hmm. And then for the website as well, they changed it to duh from, I guess, Spanish, so of. So, right. I mean, it's a, it's pretty much the same name, but they just tweaked it a tiny bit. Sure. And this was slightly embarrassing because I actually translated the jump preview thing was what came out first. And so right. since I translated that first, even though the website was using duh, I didn't actually notice it at first. So it like I didn't notice until the episode aired when they were saying it aloud. Sure, like, sure. When, when did that happen? Right. Well, and that's uh, something that leads into uh, what... 
some of us thought, when I say some of us, I don't really know who the us is, it's kind of a general you out there. Uh, what some people thought was going on with uh, some of the, the female character development here is, do they really know what they're doing? Are things being changed at the last second? Or are there just a, a whole bunch of red herrings throwing us off here? Because I guess the other big thing to mention in regards to that is what happened with Jiren and Toko. Oh, right, right. I totally wanted to mention that. Yeah, give us a little background on that. Okay, so when we've got the first uh, sneak previews of this arc where they show like all the gods of destruction and the Kaioshins and um, hanging out for what turned out to be the exhibition match. Oh, right. It's all those shots of everyone kind of like lowering down and they used the stock footage a couple times. They have the uh, Star Wars Episode One Senate chamber seats, essentially. And so uh, standing next to the, the Universe Eleven gods, there was a mysterious hooded figure who in the previews was a lot taller and slightly different looking than what we got in the final episode. Mm-hmm. And then in addition to this, like, you know, visually it's like, his, his different height. It's clear they clearly changed it at some point between the initial previews and the finalized episodes. And then there was um, another one of these, not the jump previews, but the, I think, um, New Type or one of those anime magazines. New Type, have, Anime Age, Anime Media. Yeah, one of them. They have the other more preview summaries of upcoming episodes where they described, um, they talked about Goku fighting Jiren, which in the actual episode was him fighting Topo. Even at this point, it wasn't even entirely clear who Jiren was. Mm-hmm. And then slightly later, like we knew. We knew from the beginning, the first previews, we saw Goku fighting the big buff uh, guy who looks like a gray alien. Right, right. So we, we knew that that was a character, but we didn't have a name confirmed until uh, Heroes actually had some kind of mission That's where right. he can fight Jiren. Mm-hmm. Kind of this weird gray area where it's like, okay, who is, it says Goku's fighting Jiren. Is Jiren the original name for Topo and they changed it? Or no, actually, it turns out Jiren is the name for this completely different character who, the, for whatever reason, they switched out for Topo in the finalized version of the exhibition match uh, mini arc. Right. This kind of ties in with what I was talking about with AJ last week on the show is, how is the pre-production going right now? And from just kind of a casual external viewpoint, it seems like things are going okay. But when you run into this kind of stuff, all right, maybe Zah to the, oh, that's just a little change, whatever. They did that last second. But when you're talking about a flat out character, what seems to be a character swap, that's kind of a, a big thing to be shifting at the last second. And I think that's what kind of led us into, all right, what's going on with Cauliflower versus Kale here? Are they switching something at the last second? And for all we know, they, they still are. But at least the way that this latest episode played out, it seems to be, oh, all right, I see what they're doing here. They seem like they're leading us down this one direction, but they've had it planned to go this other way the entire time. At least that's what it appears to be. It's what I'm hoping it is. I think that's probably what they hope it appears to be. So why don't you give us a rundown on what we've, before we saw the latest episode, which was, I think, 89. What have we been seeing with regard to a female Super Saiyan, maybe more than just regular Super Saiyan, uh, presumably from Universe 6? What's been floating out there in terms of promotion and designs and um, kind of like hints? Yeah, so the first thing, again, is like the initial preview for this arc where either the i think the first thing we see in that preview that aired after when it, you know when they were doing the sort of between arc filler episodes mm-hmm. for for lack of a better word you know, after one of those episodes they aired this little preview that uh, featured a lot of animation that was ended up used in the opening right. the new opening for this arc mm-hmm. and like right off the bat one of the first things we see is this um female sign turn into what looks essentially like a female version of Broly right. in legendary super sign mode 
And so right right off the bat, that was like a big topic of conversation is who is this female Brawley? Right. Well, and the thing is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but in that preview, which I think, yeah, maybe aired alongside some episodes. I want to say Mezumashi TV also got kind of like an early look at it. But we see kind of like this meek version of her that then transforms. And the actual finished animation of the opening theme, we don't get some of those earliest frames of her transformation. It kind of cuts right into the, the big bulky version. Yeah, in the finished version of the opening, we only see the like the Super Saiyan mode. We don't even see the um, the like early kind of like sulking to the back that then comes forward. Her base state, yeah. I guess you'd say. Which was another thing was that I know at least some Japanese fans who had missed the early preview and had only seen the opening, they didn't even realize that this was a necessarily a female version of Brawl. <laughs> right. It just you know because the breasts aren't they're a lot more visible in the slimmed down original version than the big. Uh, beefcake version sure. so it kind of it looks a lot more like just regular brawly wearing earrings for some reason right anyway so for whatever reason the finalized opening animation doesn't include her regular state which probably more for timing reasons than anything but it was still that was another factor where it's like did they cut that form out for time reasons or was it because they changed the design we you know until recently we weren't entirely sure, sure. but okay so backing up a little so we knew going into it that there would be some kind of female Super Saiyan. And also in one of the um, little features in um, V-Jump that was promoting the arc, they released some character designs for the arc, including uh, Gohan being ultimate Gohan once again, and the kind of weird fat pink lady who I guess Vegeta fights in the opening. Right. And amongst those was a version... A- image of the female Broly looking not quite as Broly-esque as in the opening. Mm-hmm. Is this the one where the hair is kind of like more flowing back a little bit? Yeah, it almost looks like, I mean, it just in terms of Broly, it almost maybe looks like the movie 10 Broly mm. compared to the full-on yeah, yeah. Uh, legendary Super Saiyan Broly. Sure. Which, again, maybe indicates that likewise, this character has different stages of transformation or it's just something that kind of shifts between the initial concept designs and the finalized version but anyway so we did get we got that design but it wasn't labeled there was no character name given there's the they didn't mention this is a new uh cyan character didn't say any information other than like here's a bunch of warriors who will be in this new arc they didn't say what universes they're from any of that Mm -hmm. and so i think after that the next thing that came up was another thing in either v jump or shonen jump or one of those things where it was a feature <laughs> on a new si- female sign character called Here Comes a New Sign. Oh, yeah. That was uh, last month's issue, if you jump. Yep. So this was an intro uh, feature on this new female sign character who at the time was given no name and not even much uh, information. It just said like, oh, this is going to be a new character. It's going to be an important character. Notice that she doesn't have a tail. And this was just, you know, a not regular base state, not super anything. And, it, you know, it had... um longer hair than the character we had seen in the opening mm-hmm. which uh, people have compared it to a lavos from chrono trigger oh okay yeah the shape of the hair or kind of similar to raditz too yep anyway so and different clothes and this the thing where it's like it, it doesn't look identical to the character but it's not different enough that it's definitely not the same character yeah i think for a lot of folks it was occam's razor of all right you know they just continue to tweak the design from never toriyama had to yamamuro's final tv designs right, you know it's a new character they're going to promote the one new character but like you said there was something else on the page it was like wait a second are, are they trying to pull one over on us yeah so below that they also they had uh it screenshots from the opening showing the female broly and saying uh, 
essentially like, oh, I, so this is where we get in, into the magic of ambiguous Japanese sentences mm-hmm. where there are no particles. There's no equivalent to a uh, or the. Essentially, it says like, oh, this new female sign also appears in the opening theme on its own. Like this is ambiguous, whether this is the same character mentioned above, like it's um, whether it's this new character or a new character who is also appearing. So it was ambiguous. So at the time, like my thought initially, which uh, turned out to be completely wrong in all ways, but at the time, my thought was that if it was a completely different character, they would make this completely clear because otherwise it's just not doing a good job of hyping up the show. Mm-hmm. This is where it really kicked off the debate over whether this is whether this new um, long haired character is the same as the quote unquote female Brawly we see in the opening or whether they're two separate characters. Like up until now, it's the only question was what the name of this new character is going to be and just further details of that character and this was the old this is where we first started seeing signs that they could be more than one and then so not the most recent episode but the episode before that we actually did see cauliflower show up uh referenced by name though she didn't actually speak and didn't have a voice credit yet so it was like oh okay well there's that character who's got a name now all right let's roll with it but then we get into the most recent episode and it's one of these blinking you'll miss it but that other character that we saw is standing off to the side. Clearly two distinct characters. But we got a little preview, uh, probably an unintentional one, before the episode aired. What happened yet again on the official Dragon Ball Super website? So um, people, like uh, just another sign of the magical internet age we live in, like not only do we get all these magazine leaks days or even weeks before they're supposed to officially be unveiled to the world, but now we've got people poking around into the um, source code of the official website. And so I don't know who originally did this, so I, I can't really give proper credit who, for who made this discovery, but at some point someone noticed that um, they updated the character bios to divide them up by universe. So they a while back they did this so that like now you can click on the page for each universe and there you've got the gods and then bit by bit they're adding the warriors as well. And so someone noticed that if you go to the universe 6 page and then uh, look at the source code there is a bio for a character named Kale which is not actually it's not visible on the actual website but it's just kind of there. You know, I don't know much. If I if I knew more about computer language, I could um, <laughs> give the proper term for this. But it's there, essentially, and presumably, to be used, added in the future, mm-hmm. but is not currently visible on what the audience is supposed to see. And so they had one for not only Kale, but also for Kaba and Mageta. Was it? Maybe not Mageta. I don't know. The other... the previous Universe 6 characters that we saw in the last tournament arc, sure. they're all there, and... They had like these, you know, basic bios for them. Some of them, which kind of just cut off midway through, you know, very clearly a rough draft kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I guess we can say the one for Kale here was it Vados was the actual image accompanying it. Like it was clear that it's in the works and they're not ready to go live with it yet. So yeah, it's like like everyone had uh, Vados as the default image. Right. Okay. So it was just the like default even, image. Even Botamo for whatever reason. Gotcha. And, yeah. So it so it gave her um her name, which. I mean, I get almost too obvious to point out that Kale is from Kale, and then Cauliflower is from Cauliflower. So let me, let me actually read uh, Kale's bio here, because this gets into what we haven't really seen yet. Always gets chewed out by Kaba for being too nervous. After Kaba tells her to unleash her anger in order to become Super Saiyan, her pent-up stress takes her into a berserker state, as incredible power once she cuts loose. Uh, so we've got two different characters, and then we ended up seeing these two different characters on the screen. I, I think right before 
before the episode aired, it was kind of like, oh, geez, was this another one of those? They left the rough draft version of that character in the source code and changed the name last second. But no, we got two. Yeah, because I mean, right off the bat, just the description. I mean, because we didn't we didn't have an actual image. So right. we weren't we, and even in Japanese. It's actually not clear what the gender of this character is. Mm-hmm. But I mean, just the description makes it sound exactly like what we saw in that original preview image of the timid looking girl transforming into the brawly clone. Right. And also when we the little information we did have on Cauliflower at the time was that she was like kind of a punk and she seems to have like she seems to be some kind of gang leader. Mm-hmm. More or less, like none of these things sounded like the same character. So it's like either it's two separate characters or they just changed everything about the character at the last minute, which while not impossible, it would be unlikely. I think that pretty much takes us up to today. So we've got just a, again, you blink and you'll miss it glimpse at what is clearly Kale, a separate character from Cauliflower. And I I guess we're going to go from here. I mean, at this point, if they turned out to be the same character, that would be a huge plot twist. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I guess we can never fully rule it out. So, yeah. Long story short, I was wrong. Right. You know what? I I was kind of on team. Oh, clearly it's the same character because, you know, even just they're putting them on the same page and they're being the general ambiguous because that's generally what they do. But the funny thing to me was they were both sides were out there and they were so sure they were correct. And someone got to have an absolutely glorious told you so moment. I'm sure somewhere out there on some forum and someone felt real shitty that day. So just remember that when you're out there, you know, you're allowed to have your told you so, but try not to make people feel shitty about what their theories were to Jake. I guess we'll leave it there and we'll stay tuned to see what Dragon Ball Super brings us in terms of cauliflower versus kale. Uh, What is your preferred food? Cauliflower or kale? Uh, I like uh, donuts. Uh, Fair answer. All right. We're going to leave it there. Thanks, Jake. Well, after several days of mishaps and misplacements, goddammit, we're recording anyway. Julian, hello. Hi. I have no idea where my headphones went. Yeah, we're going to work on that. We've been saying for years that uh, I want to buy you the exact same setup that uh, Heath and I have, so we should probably do that sooner or later. But anyway, Julian, you are here. We are on, like, backup recording equipment, which is to say earbuds. So apologies in advance for Julian's quality. It's not as terrible as it could be, but uh, I'm glad to have you here. I'm glad we could make this work. Glad I could be here. I mean... I haven't gone anywhere, but right. <laughs> so in the episode, I just got done talking to Jake and now we're going to talk about Jake. Sort of, kind of, not entirely. It's less about Jake himself. And uh, the way I introduced it was it's really going to be behind the scenes, uh, inside baseball translation talk. And there's no person better than yourself and Jake. And the way I wanted to kind of frame it was since Jake is the one who translated the interview, I wanted a separate take on it to look at the interview from a variety of perspectives and just kind of talk about what translation is like in 2017 for Kanzen and that's kind of where we're going to go from here. So are you ready? Yeah, I'm good. Well, I guess first before we get into it, I, I was hoping that we'd have more to talk about with the first volume of Dark Demon Realm Mission, but there's no bonus material in there beyond uh, Charisma Mission stuff. There's no interview, no special stuff, so... Ta-da. Sorry. <laughs> so Julian, let's talk about the interview in question, which is the joint Akira Toriyama and Toyotaro interview from the first collected edition of the Dragon Ball Super manga. Now, this came out a little over a year ago in Japan. Uh, Viz is just now getting around to releasing their first collected edition, even though they've been doing the free digital chapters for a while. The collected edition did come with the exact same interview as its Japanese counterpart. It's two pages in the back of the book. Uh, At this point in May 2017, it's not really that exciting or relevant of an interview, is it? Not terrible. 
terribly because we kind of know what they're talking about at the end where it's all mysterious back at the time that it came out. A certain future related person? Oh my. So it's going to be less about the content of the interview. And again, we've we've talked about it over the last year uh, quite a bit. You can read our translation on the site. But that's the interesting thing about this is it's so rare that we get a chance to directly compare an official translation with uh, something of our own work. The way I talked about it earlier is it's usually like a V-Jump article interview or something from Weekly Shonen Jump. That stuff never gets collected generally outside of its original appearance. So there's nothing official to compare to. So we're kind of in uncharted waters right here it's like well we did this a year ago and now it got an official translation but i think that's a great opportunity to compare them especially these days and this has been an ongoing debate for a while the the worth of fan translations and i kind of feel like we're a little bit removed from that conversation because when you think about that you tend to think about things like fan subs or scanlations or uh like visual novel game translations we don't do actual monetary valued products like that right so this is a a little bit different that's kind of where i want to go from here i guess the only other framing and then i will finally let julian start talking (laughs) is that Jake and I had a, a podcast topic uh, quite a few years ago. I don't remember when it was. Uh, we talked about the Strength Checker, which is just a, a forum thread on our site. But Jake and I talked at length about his translation style for the Strength Checker, which is purposefully very literal and very pedantic because that's what that audience is looking for. And that was at odds with his translation styles. He described it with actual interviews with real life people. Yeah, he gets very colloquial and at times I kind of disagree with his approach because I feel like it can obscure some of the funnier things as well. Oh, we'll get to that. It's his style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't question. There's two people, two different styles, although at times uh, when we've had miscommunications, there's one, I don't want to call it like infamous internal example of both of you translating the exact same thing and we combine translations and it just worked together perfectly. So I feel like it kind of depends on uh, who you're translating uh, and at what time. But uh, So let's just just jump right into it. Tell me a little bit about the style of um, the original Japanese language. How would you describe the way and you've translated a lot of Toriyama over the years. How would you describe the way Toriyama talks and how Toyotaro talks? Well, he Toriyama is always sort of very casual, very nonchalant about the whole ideal idea. He doesn't get especially formal. I mean, obviously, he is the, the senior and higher status person here, so he gets to talk however he wants. But in general, that's kind of his modus operandi. He doesn't get uh, super formal. He's just sort of flying off the cuff here. And in fact, I do want to note that uh, in Japanese, it's not referred to as interview or as an interview or taidan, which would be like a talk between two people, but hold on, which implies a, a greater level of freedom, which actually probably isn't the case because, you know, they're being guided into specific things. Oh, yeah, we've talked about it. these interviews. These are not journalistic entries. These are it's all just propaganda to get you to buy stuff. Toriyama is always very casual. He's uh, very free with his his answers he he often sort of takes other people by surprise by how by how uh, easygoing he is about yeah, the whole thing yeah. quite frankly whereas uh, toyotaro comes across as uh quite formal and even though he's presumably been in, in uh direct contact with toriyama for a while at this point he's he seems quite nervous now uh unlike the english translation in the book where it says they sit down for a chat. It's never actually clear whether they're face to face or whether this is something that's being mediated over a phone or mm, right. 
a chat of some kind. You kind of assume that they're there in the same room because of the way that it's presented on the page, but we don't know that. I mean, we've seen plenty of examples from Toriyama where he'll send in statements or he'll do interviews by mail back and forth. Like He's not one for coming into the office for a day for an interview. Right. That said, um, it certainly presents itself that way, especially with the the, the way uh, Toyotaro sort of reacts to his his uh, his answers. Yeah. But again, uh, as, as we have actually seen with some other things, for example, the Young Jump interview with um, Toriyama and Masakazu Katsura, that can easily be sort of edited down after the fact, where they took a very long, meandering conversation and made it quite snappy. Yeah, yeah, I, for sure. I actually enjoy the edited version, even if it's not exactly truthful at times to what they actually said. Yeah, yeah. As I was scanning through all three versions, again, the original Japanese, our translation and Viz's translation, uh, something that struck me was Toriyama seems to directly quote himself quite a bit where it's I said blah, 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 or I thought blah, blah, blah. And that would be in quotes. And that wasn't always necessarily um, Jake's approach to it, to directly quote himself in the translation, if you know what I mean. Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, I think he tends to have certain answers that are almost stock. Obviously, uh, the thing that he says about Toyotaro is very similar to things he said in the past about uh, Minoru Maeda mm, and yeah, Kazuyoshi yeah. Nakatsuru, uh, <laughs> Tadayoshi Yamamuro. And I think that's just some of the things that he tends to say. And it's just kind of the person he is. So he'd say something, like, I'm just like, and then quotes, wow, just how much did I forget about these guys? And whereas, whereas Jake would say something like, oh, and I'm always forgetting about these guys. Well, that's a, that's a, a rhetorical style that's used in Japanese, especially informally. Mm. And that, that is the case in the, the original Japanese. If I could just pull it up here. Uh, what he he originally says is, um, for the first time in a while, he got out his uh, own books and read through them. And every time he thinks up a new story, he, he goes to himself, how much have you forgotten? Right, right. So so tell me, what do you think about that style of the, if you're, if you're asking yourself this rhetorical question, is it necessary to be so literal with actually putting in quotation marks, asking yourself that question? Or is that something can be, I don't slurred is not the right word, but just like smoothed over a little bit more naturally into speech? Well, it, it can be. Uh, and it, again, it depends on your style a little bit. Yeah. I'm one for keeping it as long as it doesn't take you out of it um and that's things that have shifted with me over the years so some of my earlier translations are perhaps a little bit more literal and when i go back and read them i think well i could have put that a different way mm -hmm. but i'd like to keep it when i can especially because sometimes it, it gets you into the frame of mind of the person talking yeah sure the way they're sort of reacting to themselves, which doesn't always come across in a more uh, fluid English translation when you take that out. Another thing that um, neither uh, Herms or the official translation mentioned was when they were talking about um, when they were going with the uh, universe uh, tournament. And he was saying that, um, well, from the... Uh, Battle of God's Ark to the Resurrection F Ark. It was um, one story after another where it makes your blood pressure go up. Mm. And I, I like that turn of phrase. And I know it doesn't need to be absolutely literal, but I, I, think I thought it was kind of a shame that they didn't use that because that's the kind of thing that Toriyama especially tends to say about 
that sort of thing. Oh, my blood pressure will get too high if I do this too much. Oh, so uh, I don't remember exactly how they phrase it. Was it just kind of like, oh, I get stressed out or something like that? Yeah. Interesting. And, and you know, that's a way of interpreting it, but I, I like the more literal approach for that. Well, tell me a little bit, how has your, I guess you just kind of explained it, how has your translation style shifted over the years? You said it was more literal. And this is a really weird kind of question. The way I want to frame this, I'm always talking about how I want to frame things is I, I like this extra context. Mm-hmm. I see so many... I guess accusations is the right word. And Jake's not here. So this is good because Jake's always too humble about his translations. So if we can kind of <laughs> separate ourselves here and there and talk to one person about another person's work, it, like I actually get an answer out of you guys when we do it this way. Uh, <laughs> people are like, oh, he's so literal with his word. I, I think we're, we're pretty much saying right here, like, no, actually, <laughs> everyone's a little loose with how they approach this dialogue. Where do you think? think those accusations of being too literal comes from is that folks just tossing crap into google translate and thinking they know what they're doing well i think when you start out especially as you're discovering the language your inclination is to be more literal because that is different from the localized translation which is looser and more fluid Englishy. Oh, well, now you sound into me like these manga stream people who know exactly what they're doing with their loose translations. Get, I'm getting there. Hold all right, on. all right. <laughs> Be patient. All right. I don't know the meaning of the word. <laughs> but, you know, to an extent, that turns into a sort of translation ease, I guess you could say, which uh, a lot of Japanese translations of um, English language movies can tend to fall into, where you listen to it as a speaker of Japanese, and it seems all very stilted. There's these repeated patterns of phrases that don't appear in Japanese because people don't normally talk that way, Mm. but it hasn't been smoothed over as much. I noticed that especially when I was watching the Japanese dub of Frozen with my children at one point. I'm like, wow, this is really unnatural. I mean, the singing is nice, I guess, but yeah. Interesting. So there there is a point where it gets it gets a little bit too unwieldy. And I think the translator's struggle is always to try and rein it in so it flows more or less naturally, but also that it keeps a little bit of the, the interesting turns of phrase and some of the the interest from the original. And I don't envy people like Stephen Paul, who has mm. to translate one piece officially for Viz. And I, I might add that he actually does an extremely good job. I mean, he'd been doing it unofficially for years just through text translations on the web. Right. All of those characters, the, by design, have like speech quirks and weird ways of laughing and um, lots of invented vocabulary. And the, the series has been going on for twice as long as Dragon Ball at this point almost. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of an unenviable position to be in. And to make it flow more or less naturally in English means you're always making lots of decisions about the way people ought to talk, the kinds of things that they would say, the level of vocabulary that they're using, which I I try to be more careful about these days because I feel like, especially in my efforts to find English equivalents for a lot of nuanced words in Japanese, I ended up using a lot more nuanced vocabulary for some people that they probably wouldn't actually say in English, Uh, you know? Interesting. Yeah, but that's where I want to give both you, Julian, and Jake credit. And this is the kind of thing where I I don't know that everyone knows how good they have it. Where you guys have been doing this for so long and you do it at 
let's be honest, like in a professional level, that you guys do know the ins and outs of everyone's quirks and speech patterns, things that will pop up from time to time. You have this internal knowledge, this internal style guide for the way that these real life people and these characters talk. Right. Uh, like, like you were just describing with uh, Stephen over on One Piece, you're not always lucky to get someone like that who's coming into it at that level while also still being a fan and i know just <laughs> as a regular fan i mean i'm i'm lucky that i work with you guys but um like i'm i'm so grateful to know that when i'm reading something even if you're talking about like oh no maybe i would have done that a little differently and i wish jake would have done this and he's reading your side he's probably like oh i probably would have done this way one way or the other there's still that level of when we read this we know that there's there's such a, a backing behind it i i can't <laughs> this is my chance to like fillet julian and jake a little bit like I, I can't express how grateful and appreciative i am when we get this stuff i was like holy shit this is this is no one else has this well i i appreciate the uh, praise even if i uh, don't entirely always agree with it but we we do we do do our best and i think that always comes across in in uh, herms's work even when I, I don't necessarily agree with all of his choices and i'm sure he feels the same way about me yeah well that's the beauty of having multiple people i guess mm -hmm. now that i'm done talking about how great we all are <laughs> take me back to the interview a little bit what are some of the other little differences or just things here and there that you notice about all the different versions well with jake's version i i generally agree that he tries to make it flow a little more naturally in english that than the book version does and i don't know whether that was a product of it being pressed for time or the person who did the interview in the book was not as familiar with the material it almost feels like maybe it's a separate translator from the person who was doing the actual the content chapters. Yeah, I yeah. agree. As I was reading it, I had that feeling of, man, this seems very literal and a little bit stilted. Almost like the same way, like the interstitial pages, like you, you uh, posted up on Twitter. Oh, yeah. They, let's talk about that a little bit, because my superpower is to notice a mistake if I randomly open a page. And that's what I just so happened to do. I opened them to that page and I went, wait a second, this can't be right. So tell me what happened there. This, uh, again, it's not an actual bit of dialogue. It's one of the little in-between doodles between pages. But it's like the joke was completely missed. Yes. Um, so there's a little page with uh, that shows uh, free. He's uh, down in hell after he's been returned there because he's in his uh, final form, I suppose you could say, along with Sorbet and Shisami. And uh, Sorbet is down on the ground going, Tobasareta, which means they skipped us or we've been skipped. And um, the English version in the pages, I, I might add, this was not part of the original serialization. This is for the sake of filling in a blank page because of the way that the the pages of the chapters are organized. And to hit even page numbers for the collected edition, you got to add something in. And and so the English version is, says something like, what, I was flown down here. And I read that. I'm like, there's got to be something with like misreading a kana. The thing is, it's it's hiragana. It's not kanji. So it's not like misread a kanji or something. But you, you told me that there, there's definitely an etymology reason here why someone yes. might think it's that. But that's also like, how did you miss that at the same time? There's no way you could mess this up. Yes. So the verb tobu in its base form is um, is to jump or to fly, to skip. Anyway, it has the idea of going up and over. And in this case, uh, tobasareta, combining causative and passive. There we go. They, so he's he's been, essentially, he's been skipped over. The, the, other, the only other way to interpret it really is that he's been like caused to fly or sent flying. But that's not really the case there because that doesn't make any sense. 
contextually. Right. Well, that's the whole thing is as soon as we read it, I looked at it, Mary took a look at it, and then independently you looked at it and we all decided like, did someone get this word in an email or in a text message devoid of any context whatsoever and was just asked, what does this mean? And someone decided something completely wrong. Right. Because in context, it's very clear because there is no resurrection F arc in the super manga, both for time constraints and the fact that Toyotaro had just done that in V-Jump before he started the super manga, right, right. that they skipped over it. So they're they're lamenting the fact that they're not in the book. And again, this is totally inconsequential. It really has no effect on the greater manga, but it really just seems like, is this even a rookie mistake? Like you were saying, like even if you just got the word by itself, right? I don't think you would arrive at that translation of that. Yeah, and I noticed something similar in the book version of the interview, not in the text itself, but in the pull quote off to the side. Oh, okay. And it reads, it gets more and more exciting as you keep going. But that's not actually contextually what Toro Taro says in the interview. And it, and it is sort of reduced in the Japanese version as well. But the context is clear enough that if you read the interview, you know what he's trying to say. As every time I read his work, there's this excitement that washes over me or that, that wells up within me. It's exciting every time I read it. Gotcha. Or gotcha. I get this feeling of excitement every time I read it. And as you sort of scratch your head, like, is the person who translated the stuff on the side the same person who translated the interview? Because if you translate translated one how do you get the other one wrong i don't understand it yeah that seems super strange to me maybe it was someone did the interview and last second noticed there was something on the side like oh we want to put this here too and they just Mm -hmm. showed it to the intern that day i don't like you i don't understand how you arrive at these two separate interpretations when it's literally like the same idea on the same page yeah and and um there's something else towards the end like the very last question uh where they have uh in, in response to uh toriyama's thing about the future of a certain person and combining mm-hmm. with a new universe and they have toyotaro say a certain person that's something that i'm interested in uh and in the original that's bokumos daisuki na jinbutsu desu ne that's that's someone i also like a lot like the context you can't get that wrong i mean <laughs> i was gonna say even with my basic level 101 back in college like i understood that sentence that that is a that is a character or uh and a person i am interested in as well right. or that i like as well <laughs> right, right um not only do you have to be completely unaware of the following arc which was well over by the time this book came out but mm-hmm. It's like you also have to be not clear on what they're talking about. So it, again, it feels like the person who has been translating the series is not the same person who translated the interview for the book. Well, that takes me into kind of where I want to wrap this up, which is, all right, so are we just sitting here trashing Viz's translation and are we falling back in that, oh, we're fans. We know everything. We are. We have the series' best interests in mind here because that's how it comes across, even as the person who's trying to moderate this discussion. I feel like we're coming across that way. So, like, how would you... How would you rectify and how would you explain this? Um, Well, I I don't think of it exactly that way. I think as the official provider of uh, this release that they ought to do better, frankly. I mean, I realize they don't have unlimited budgets and they don't have 
unlimited Japanese speakers who happen to be big fans of the series with, you know, up-to-date knowledge of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Hint, hint, although they could find them if they knew where to look and wanted I don't know. to. I don't know that I want to be beholden to anyone. Like, that sounds like a wonderful pipe dream, but then to have actual responsibility, that freaks me out a little bit. And, and again, I'm all for purchasing the actual work, you know. Well, that's the thing is I don't want to say like, oh, there are these three little things. Don't buy it because that's ridiculous. Right. right. But a translation is an, an, an art that relies on a number of things, including contextual knowledge of what you're writing about. And that's what separates a professional class translation from something that, that can be more amateurish. And it's not, it doesn't just come down to knowledge of the language, because if you speak the language, anybody can crap out a quick and dirty translation without any regard for, you know, the nuances and things. I, I'd like to see them put a little more love into it. And especially, I don't even know, have another proofreader go over it just because you know i i want other people to enjoy it the same way i enjoy it and if and if the translation isn't completely up to snuff then i feel like they're missing out i feel like some of this just has to be they didn't have the japanese original in front of them different people were just getting different things piecemeal and that doesn't i hope it's not that because that doesn't seem like the right way to approach this no um again i think the 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 secret sauce in any translation is knowledge of uh, what you're working on well that that's a a tough sell because how are you going to get the perfect expert on every single last thing that you license i mean that's what separates the fan translation from the official work is they are just a business and yeah there's some love there and i feel like we're exactly falling back into that same oh pro fan translations everything we do is so much better than the official fuck the official translation but but that's not true because you can have official translations that do a better job you you have uh steven in his free time who goes through things that have been translated by other people and comparing them and you know and uh commenting on various things as well and you have uh mato although he doesn't do book translations but you know video game and some anime stuff doing the same thing and talking about the choices that have been made yeah there are people out there who do it for a living who who see it as a real labor of love and there are people who do it because they need money and they don't put that much thought into it and even the same person on different days and depending on what they're working on can approach it in different ways i don't know i i feel like you know doing translating myself that People should more often try and aspire to something a little better. I mean, I'm not saying don't buy it because I think overall they do a good job. It's just those little diggling things that bother me. Yeah. I hear you. And like we've been saying, the the translation of the actual chapters, uh, I did a check in with Jake a few episodes ago. And all in all, it's like, oh, this is fine. Maybe maybe we'd smooth over some of the language a little bit more, too. But the actual chapter translations have been pretty decent overall. So, And again, that's why I raised the point. It feels like the person who translated the interview is not the same person who translated the chapters. All right. Well, let's go ahead and leave it there because uh, I actually didn't plug in my laptop and it's running low on battery. (laughs) (laughs) And I kind of want to go to bed anyway because we're doing this late at night and we're two of us we're, we're old men we gotta go to bed so julian you have any last thoughts on uh, this interview itself and maybe just translation stuff in general i will say that i think that it really goes to show you that translation is a a very very deep thing in, in japanese they might say okugafukai so it's easy it's easy to get into a little bit but there's there's infinite depth and the deeper you go the more you realize you don't know and it's just one of those things that it, it's a collection of choices made from the beginning to the end and even afterward when you're constantly doubting 
the things that you made. But it's interesting to see these two different results of different choices, both on the part of the people who translated it and perhaps the people who um, assigned them to translate it. So, yeah. All right. Well, Julian, thank you much. It's always good to have you on the show. And let's uh, buy you a, a new real replacement microphone. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Take care, dude. So that is that for our episode this week. Thanks, Julian. Thanks, Jake, for being flexible on recordings over this weekend. Had some mishaps, but we made it all work. So for them, those two dudes, and also Heath, Mr. Hujio here at Konzenshu, I am Mike Vegito EX. You can find us www.kanzenshu.com. That is Konzenshu. Hope you enjoyed what you heard this episode. I, I love this stuff. This is the kind of material you're only going to find at Konzenshu. You're only going to hear from the folks who are responsible for this stuff. So glad I corralled these folks into not quite, not really actually working for me. <laughs> what is the working relationship here? I don't really know. None of us really know. That's what it's like to run a fan site. I'm just always super appreciative and I'm always in awe of the amazing work that everyone does. So uh, check out the website. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. We will see you next time. What episode was this? This was episode 424. So I guess we'll see you next time for 424. Five. Again, you heard the site. Check out all the social medias. Just do a little search for Konzenshu and your social media of choice. And we're, we're probably there doing something. Uh, and we'll see you next time. Have a lovely week. I will see you then. Bye-bye.